Baby, I'm a gangster too, and it takes me to tango. You don't wanna mess with me, mess with me. Baby, I'm a gangster too. <laughs> Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. Don't fuck with me, fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. Happy Halloween, everyone! It's finally October, and as the longtime listeners of my show will remember, last year I presented a month-long spooktacular filled with all the horror movies, conspiracy theories, and unsolved mysteries a heart could desire. This year is no different. I thrive in the fall, thanks to my beautiful mother. And just to set the record straight, no, I'm not a Satanist. No, I don't worship the devil. But I do enjoy celebrating fall activities, watching horror movies, drinking fucking cider, doing all the things. And for me, it reminds me of my mom, the very first pumpkin spice candle that I light for the fall season just makes me feel a little bit closer to her. And so, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I just enjoy the fall and I love horror movies. I love dressing up and doing all the extra stuff. So, I hope you will enjoy this year's Halloween special of sorts. This season is my time to shine. I hate summertime. I hate mosquitoes. I hate being hot. I hate sweating. And I hate wintertime because it's like you can't go anywhere. You have to wear a turtleneck every day. Fucking snow all over my car. Have to wait for the stupid idiot car to warm up just to be able to melt the ice off the windshield. No thank you. I take fall over any other season and my allergies act up in the spring if you were wondering. So yes, this is my time to shine and I am so excited to announce this year's 2023 Ghost Jamboree. So this month is going to be packed full of the cosmic fire. And to get us started, today is our Breakdown Shakedown. Colby from Conspiracy Playtime is joining us today to break down Beetlejuice. Colby and I are both huge Tim Burton fans, and this was a delight to record with him. Just remember, don't say it three times. (laughs) But before we jump right into the episode, of course, you can... Click the link in the show note to find more from Colby and Conspiracy Playtime. Of course, there is a link in the show notes where you can go over to Patreon and make your reservation to room 237. 
I hope you all enjoyed the exclusive episodes on Patreon last month for the Jim Carrey breakdowns. I feel like everyone, for the most part, had uh, a good time. And uh, let's see if I got any other uh, reviews here. Somebody bitching about the Tunguska episode. Uh, DJ Pistol Pete. Oh, wait. Yeah, I think I, re- I read that one. Ty, you rock. Thank you. Um, a laughing face, one star. It says, everyone is a sexy conspiracy podcaster today. Hey, you know, that's odd to me because most of the topics that I talk about are not sexy at all. So fuck you. Um, let's see. Next review is from... A Dawn's hashtag tinfoil hat babes unite five stars. I love this show so much. Julia's funny, expressive, creative, courageous, inspiring, and a total babe, which is just a cool bonus. Haha. Thank you for sharing your voice and vision with all of us. We are luckier for it. See, that's what the fuck I'm talking about right there. Thank you. If someone finds me attractive, like that's cool or whatever, but I've said a million times. I wear fucking turtlenecks, dude. Like, I'm not out here. I'm married. If somebody says, oh, you're sexualizing your podcast, which episode did I do that in? The one where I talked about SRA, the one where I talked about pedophilia, the one where I talked about uh, ritual abuse and mind control, mass indoctrination of society. Like, which one gave you a boner? Let me know. But So I had another podcast going that was like a relationship advice podcast called On the Hotline. And I really had a ton of great ideas for the podcast. And I was enjoying doing that podcast, actually. But I, with a full-time job and keeping up everything I need to do for the Cosmic Peach podcast and the Patreon, I just didn't have enough time to dedicate to it. I think I will revive it if I ever do podcasting full-time. But right now is just not the fucking time. I need to pour all of myself into the Cosmic Peach podcast in order to make it work. So I've sidelined that project for now, but if I ever become a full-time podcaster, I'm definitely going to revive it because I was having a great time. But I, of course, consider Cosmic Peach podcast to be my baby. So I need to nurture it, grow it, uh, fine-tune everything. And so I'm going to bring that back maybe in a future timeline but as of right now we're just cosmic peaching it the fuck up and thank you all for your support i highly appreciate it i can't wait to present the ghost jamboree episodes and uh, sit down and buckle up because it's showtime Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cosmic Peach Podcast. It is October and it is time for the Breakdown Shakedown. And I have the one, the only, Colby from Conspiracy Playtime joining us tonight. Colby, how are you? Doing very well. How are you doing, Julia? 
I'm feeling spooky. I'm feeling spicy. All right. <laughs> so, um, because this is a Halloween special, we decided, actually it was your idea, and I thought it was a great idea, to break down Beetlejuice. Indeed, and you know, I think when we initially talked about it, we were talking about doing Edward Scissorhands, which... Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I did think that Edward Scissorhands was my favorite Tim Burton movie. I, I watched that one once a year. I probably haven't watched Beetlejuice in several years and i watched it last night and i think i might like it better actually than edward scissorhands yeah i think there's more to it than i mean edward scissorhands is a classic fairy tale type story and i mean it's it's textbook you know the yeah the arc of the story but it's it's wonderful it's beautiful everything about it's good but beetlejuice i think it might be one of the most original screenplays written no i, I agree with you i think the story of beetlejuice is much better i think I'm a visual person, so right. the visuals of Edward Scissorhands gets me every time because even the wardrobe, the contrast of colors, the lady with the ambrosia salad in Edward Scissorhands, I just love all that stuff. But there are so many iconic moments in Beetlejuice, too. But we're, we're going to get into all that. I'm just going to start out like I always do and say a little bit about the movie, and then we can just go wherever. But so Beetlejuice is a 1988 American fantasy horror film directed by Tim Burton, written by Michael McDowell, Warren Scarin, I think I'm saying that right, and Larry Wilson, starring Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Jeffrey Jones, Catherine O'Hara, Winona Ryder, and Michael Keaton. And the plot revolves around a recently deceased couple who, as ghosts haunting their former home, contact Beetlejuice, an obnoxious and devious bio-exorcist from the netherworld, to scare away the home's new inhabitants. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Yeah, you don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. He's guaranteed to put some life Attention, King Workshoppers. in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. But this was actually not meant to be a comedy movie, just like Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's very similar in the way that there's the original screenplay is worlds apart from what ended up being actually produced. 
And mm-hmm. do you know do you know much about the original screenplay? I have some of the info written down in my notes, but I'll let you go first with what you know. And if you leave anything out, I'll just okay. I, I mean, I know very little. It seems kind of like with Ghostbusters, it was such a to to film that vision in the original script probably would have been multiple hundred million dollar type shoot. I mean, mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, I think, was intended to be way darker. Uh, what is his first name? Michael McDowell. He was a he was a horror writer originally, and he did some like Stephen King stuff. He did uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents kind of shit. And Ooh, yeah, he had Beetlejuice as like a winged demon that was a I mean, he was a rapist, basically. And that did carry over slightly into the movie that it was made in a comedic way. I mean, he's creepy, but, you know, he was flat out like a brutal fucking monster in the original screenplay. Yeah, he was. Um, That's pretty much what I had. Uh, It's remembered as like one of these Tim Burton kind of comedy-esque movies, but the original script had Beetlejuice as like this, like you said, winged demon kind of being, but that could transform into a Middle Eastern man, very specifically (laughs) a Middle Eastern man. (laughs) Um, They whitewashed uh, it. Yeah, right. So uh, I did read something where they wanted like Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. To play Beetlejuice. And I was like, oh, that would have been a different movie. Hey, hey, hey. Say it three times, baby. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine it. Yeah. There was, Jim Carrey was in talks also. Robin Williams. Yeah. Jim Carrey or Robin Williams probably could have done their own good thing with it. I but. think so, too. Um, And then one of the other more serious things that I found is that in the original version of the script, Beetlejuice only needed to be exhumed from his grave to wreak havoc, not um, having to be summoned. And it also featured a second Dietz child, which was a nine-year-old girl named Kathy. And Mm -hmm. the nine-year-old was supposed to be the only one who could see um, the dead couple. And at the end of the movie, Beetlejuice murders the nine-year-old and then rapes Lydia. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like the big climactic finish or whatever, which I feel like this could have been a great horror movie, sure. But would it have been as iconic? I don't think so. Not for that era, especially. I mean, you're getting horror movies like big. B-level horror movies were a dime a dozen. That might have like topped darkness levels. I mean, killing a kid, I think he had transformed himself into a rabid squirrel or something. And right, yes. And mm-hmm. then had his way with Lydia, which was like he kind of always wanted, which like we said earlier, does slightly make it into the final product. But rather than raping her once, he wants her as a wife. So <laughs> Yeah, because there's a scene where he goes to like a strip club or something in the little town. And he's got these spikes all over him. And it's like, what is he doing with the spikes? Like, you kind of well, know he's perverted and, like, demented. But <laughs> if, if you remember, she, uh, Barbara, had picked him up and was holding him. So he shot spikes out so she would drop him. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. That, so that makes but, sense. I was like, what is he going to do? Spike him? Or like, yeah, well, one appendage isn't enough for what he's going to do in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think maybe the thing is, is that they wanted to have that, but then they're like, why would that be? So they wrote the first part later. I don't know. But they did shoot the scene with the snake before they casted Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. 
And then they had to go back and like add his face to it or something like yeah. that, which th- just it sounds like they just made double work for themselves, honestly. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, you know, the movie isn't fully cast when they're doing all the special effects. I think it's worth note that this movie had a $15 million budget. It did. Only a million of that went to special effects. So I think for what they had <laughs> to work with in 1988, they did a pretty decent job. And Mm -hmm. I think this is the movie where actually Tim Burton kind of found his style. You watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure, it's kind of in there. But there's scenes in Beetlejuice that you see kind of like are the roots for how he's going to end up Mm -hmm. being a filmmaker. So, And I have been accused in the past of looking like a Tim Burton character, which I've always taken as a compliment. They should have found me for Beetlejuice, too. I would have been totally down. It could have been like Winona Ryder's cousin or something, but no, sadly not. And I also don't want to get like raped in Hollywood and all that shit, which by the way, I found some interesting shit on the dad. Oh yeah. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Freaking ginger guy who was the mean ass principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now he's always played kind of like a villainous type of character, mm-hmm. like the strict dad or like the weird principal. But I found some shit about him that totally like corroborated my thoughts about him. Cause he has a creepy face. And he's kind of just went with it. If you look at pictures of him modern day, he he's just kind of taking the pedophile look and just gone whole oh, hog with yeah. it. He's got the mustache and like it looks like he's been sitting out in the sun for twelve years without <laughs> drinking any water. Yes. Well, do you so, also know that Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, to tie it back to the original Tim Burton movie, he was tied in with that because I no I I looked into this and apparently there's not a lot of good info on it, but he tipped people off on what Jeffrey Jones was up to. And so the cops threw his place, they tossed his place and found uh, like old collection of like old school pornography, which isn't even pornography today. It would be like PG 13 rated. And they, they tried to say there was some child porn in there. Apparently there was nothing to it. It didn't stick. He got a mugshot taken out of it. The charges were eventually dropped, but Pee Wee Herman also Mm -hmm. masturbated in a movie theater. So people hear this and they think that he was tied into the Jeffrey Jones thing, which I don't know. He just died at like age 70, Paul Rubens. So mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know. I'm not trying to clear his name. It's just really ambiguous with what was going on there. But yeah, Jeffrey I Jones. Yeah, I don't know if I found anything about that connection as much as like, I always had it in the back of my mind, even when I watched Ferris Bueller, like he was like one of the ugliest men I had ever seen in my life. Like he just had that face, like there's something wrong with him. Even in Beetlejuice, I'm like, ugh, could they not have found somebody else to play the dad? And go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I just it made me think of this scene that I noticed last night for the first time, because now that we know about Jeffrey Jones, when she first she interrupts him, he's bird watching in his office and he like tells her to run along. He kisses her on the mouth. She's a 15 year old girl in this movie, kisses her on the mouth and then smacks her ass as she's walking away. And it's like, what kind of dad (laughs) would do that to their 15 year old daughter? I mean, maybe that's out there, but it just did he ad lib that? Because it's kind of fucking creepy. Hey, it seems like he has this weird pedophilic kind of thing about him anyways. And so what I found on him that's like solid that anybody can like go and Google is that he was in possession of illegal photos and he did solicit a 14 year old boy to pose for those said photos 
and he was arrested and he was arrested two other times on similar charges in 2004 and in 2010 and he was arrested for failing to update his offender status he wanted to move into so a busy neighborhood and not have to go yeah door to door. he's he's trying to play it cool like oh that was so long ago you guys i'm not even into boys anymore well he actually continues to work to this day in the industry and i find it fucking weird that if you're a trump supporter you get tossed out of Hollywood for good. But if you're a pedophile, they'll let you back in with open arms eventually. Oh, oh 100%. 100%. And so I was, I did write down a question that I wanted to ask you before I forget. When we started this episode, I said I was I was trying to do my best Lydia Dietz, but I am a redhead, so I'm like a hybrid between Lydia and Delia. But if you were any character in the movie, who would you be and justify your answer? Well, I, I have to stick with Beetlejuice because I, as a kid, <laughs> it, was, it was one of my top three movies as, as a kid. And I was five when it came out. I don't know. But, you know, even though he's creepy and he's got like a slightly rapey vibe, that he is in the movie. Michael Keaton was on set for two weeks. He's in the movie for somewhere between 17 and 18 minutes altogether. But the just, I think he shines. And... Yeah, not that I want to be Beetlejuice, but I think he's the most compelling character in all of it. He is the title character, but he's just kind of always lurking. He's not really ever there except for like three major scenes. And I think Michael Keaton should have got a fucking Oscar for this. My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. go ahead. Shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? What I mean is, can you be scary? Oh, oh, I know you're asking me. Can I be scary? What do you think of this? <laughs> you like it? Excuse us, please. Sure. Talk amongst yourselves. Well, you are a Leo, so I do see you being the center of attention (laughs) (laughs) in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you could say Adam, but... I don't think so, no, because he was a very skeptical and very... He thought in a very linear fashion, and that's not like you very much. I think you would be more eccentric because you're the conspiracy theory guy and you're the crazy like, ah! so no yeah but if i were a character i'll let you guess and then i'll tell you if you're right that's got to be between lydia and delia does it though i mean you're dressing the part uh i am dressing the part maybe barb i am barbara in real life yeah barbara kind of lets her husband speak and she just she doesn't even roll her eyes really she's just like oh he's so adorable because he's not bright (laughs) <laughs> remember when they first remember when they first find the handbook? Yes. D- diseased handbook for the recently diseased. She corrects him and he's just kind of like, oh. Handbook for the recently diseased. Deceased. 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 <laughs> he, he's right. also the fucking reason they died. You know, he grabs the wheel of the car. 
Yes, I know. So um, it's just funny to me how um, people see me on a podcast or they see me on Instagram and they would think that I would be probably more the exact, even wearing this outfit. But in real life, I'm the nerd. I'm Barbara. I'm just trying to get by to, you know, it's like, okay, honey. Are, are you tall? Right, sure. I'm five, seven. Okay. Cause I noticed watching this last night that there's a scene where I think it's where they go down into the model and she's towers over both Alec Baldwin and Michael Keaton. I don't know how tall either one of those guys are. My, Michael Keaton might be pretty short, but yeah, she's got to be like Sigourney, almost Sigourney Weaver status. Yeah, she was in another movie I watched recently while I was doing my Jim Carrey breakdown. It's a movie called um, Earth Girls Are Easy. Did you ever see that movie? <laughs> a long time ago, and I didn't remember her being in it. I don't know why. Yeah, she's like one of the main characters. Okay. Um, and she's almost as tall or taller than Jeff Goldblum. Oh, and he's a tall man. He's super tall. Yeah, he's yeah. like 5'11". Oh, so she, he's in that. And then they were in the fly together also, that creepy Cronenberg yeah, movie. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So, yeah, she maybe she's... Nah, she, I don't think so. She's pretty feminine. She's just a tall ass chick, I think. <laughs> were you about to say that she might be one of those? <laughs> <laughs> inverted, inverted Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. No, I think she's just tall. But yeah, I think I would be Barbara. Now, the thing about this movie is that... The, I guess the juxtaposition of the couples, right? So Adam and Barbara, and then Delia, and I forget his freaking name in the movie, Jeffrey Jones, Charles, total opposites in every way. And I make fun of my husband all the time because like we'll be trying to pick out furniture together and we don't have the same taste and shit. And I'm like, you pick out stuff that looks like fucking Delia Dietz fucking Beetlejuice sculptures. I'm like, what the fuck is that? This is all Scandinavian looking. I'm like a farmhouse. Like I like buckets with like cornmeal in it. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think I don't really understand entirely why they moved the fuck out there to begin with well i i think there's a few hints he i think had a nervous breakdown because when he's on the phone with that investor max dean who ends up coming out at some point the guy said yeah you were really good you're really good at real uh, uh, finding good deals until you lost your nerves and he kind of makes like a kind of sad face when he hears that and i also wonder Never says, but I think Lydia's birth mother must have died at some point because she's mm. so obsessed with death. She's gothic and it never does explain it. Because And I, maybe he, the death of the first wife had some kind of delayed effect on him. But I feel like he needed to get the fuck out of the city and she had to follow her money source, the, the wife. You know, she's, she doesn't want to be there. But that's what I she think. She does not want to be there. And it's so obvious too because she's like, someone's maybe it wasn't her or maybe it was like the the handler guy that was always with her was like somebody save me from ll bean <laughs> oh otho otho yeah <laughs> who, is, who is totally gay and has a beard wife that he brings to the dinner later on in the film <laughs> right delia deets welcome charles it's okay, there's no damage. Look, see, it's okay. Good, sturdy country craftsmanship. And look at that kitchen. 
you're finally going to be able to cook a decent meal. Come and have a look. It's perfect. Oh. Help! It's Otho. Oh. Otho, why don't you just come in up front? Oh. Bad luck. Otho, you left the city for me. I am so happy. Of course you are. Delia. You're right. Let's get one thing straight. You're right. We're here to enjoy the country setting, mm -hmm. not to crash the place. You're right. Charles, you're lucky the yuppies are buying condos so you can afford what I'm going to have to do to this place. Also, I'm here to relax and clip coupons. And damn it, I mean to do it. Then go do it quietly, dear, and let Otho and I think. Is the rest of the house as bad as this? Otho. Viridian. Viridian. Now, why do I know that name? Blue-green. Hydrated chromic oxide. Remember, I'm schooled in chemistry. I was a hair analyst. Briefly. Ugh. Deliver me from L.L. Bean. And they just sit and there and bash on each other the whole time. He's actually one of my favorite characters because he's he just funny. says stuff and I'm like, oh my God. Um, they did play Deo at his funeral, which oh, I thought dead. was, yeah. And they played that as like his ending, you know, farewell, goodbye song. Because he, he said that he was very proud of his work in Beetlejuice, which I would be too. He's an iconic character in Beetlejuice. And um, I, I think I read somewhere that they wanted the song during the dinner scene to be like an R&B song, it was supposed to be a slow dance. Um, when a man loves a woman, it was supposed to be when a man loves a woman and they changed it to day. Oh, like last minute. Thank and because God. they chose, I know, right. Because they chose a Harry Belafonte song, they decided to put jump in the line at the end of the movie. Perfect into the movie, by the way. Well, there's also one at the beginning where he goes out to his, I think it's the basement so when the right before they go to the hardware store to pick up something, he puts on the radio. That's also a Harry Belafonte oh, song. Oh, right. Okay, and so they, they featured him three times then in the movie. I mean, the music in this movie is iconic. It's like a weird merge of Elfman and Belafonte that <laughs> just works. For, even the beginning, kind of like with Ghostbusters, that Geffen ball spins and they have that mm -hmm. little intro that's both Elfman with a little of that uh, Deo song in there. And mm -hmm. I still shivers up my spine. It's just so creepy and kind of like sets the mood just right. Oh my gosh. The other day I wanted to like uh, Apple does these curated playlists and I just typed in like fall playlist or Halloween playlist or whatever. And Deo came on. And um, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. If you just heard the song, you would be like, why the fuck is this on a Halloween playlist? But for me, as soon as I hear that song, I think of them dancing around the table. And um, um, that's the best Alec Baldwin ever looked, by the way. I was going to comment on that because he's pretty, he's like a heartthrob looking dude. This is before he grew his neck. And oh my gosh, yeah. He was skinny. It's mm -hmm. almost like he was replaced later you know, in life. Like he almost doesn't look like the same human being from Beetlejuice. He is just to like give some juxtaposition. You were just talking about the actor that played Otho and how proud he was. Alec Baldwin famously hates his 
his role, his work in Beetlejuice. He won't watch. Why? It. Because he was not like fucking like the main fucking character throughout the whole movie. Uh, and he, maybe it is that, but he also came across as kind of oafish, like we're like just kind of slow. And I don't know if he doesn't like that, but he is quite a cunt. And I, I thought that. <laughs> where, I mean, you want to talk about ultimate cunt move? Where he fucking shot somebody and killed them on the set of the movie he was in charge of, and then made himself the victim. <laughs> I know. But yeah, Alec Baldwin. I know. Let's remember him as he is in Beetlejuice because yeah, top of his game there. And blonde. Like, did he get highlights? He Has looks he more like Stephen Baldwin if you think about he it. Does. And the, maybe, yeah, something weird was going. I don't know. Something I don't even know like weird. what movies was he in before this? I'm sure I, there must be a few. Dude, I could Google it, but I'm telling you right now, that's the best he ever looked in his entire life was Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Did you want to like jump through the chronological main points? In yes. The movie? Okay. Well, I think this movie was shot in Vermont, but in the movie, it's Connecticut, small town Connecticut, local couple doing a staycation. And kind of like it's cute at the beginning where they give each other vacation gifts and they're both like gifts to remodel the house and go to the hardware store. Oh, it's kind of key that they have a friend, but it seems like maybe she was a relative of Barb's that is pressuring them to sell the house. She's sending pictures to rich people who you might think is the Dietzes because she says there's a family in New York that is offering, I think it was like 250000 which maybe back then that was a lot. But you think that's probably them. Like the Dietzes have been looking at this house even before they died. Hi, Barbara. Hi. I'm glad I caught you. Heard you were on vacation. That's right, Jane. Complete vacation. Honey, today I'm $260,000. No, Jane. It's 6.45 in the morning. This offer is real from a man in New York City who only saw a photograph. Jane, don't send people photos of our house. He wants to bring the wife and family up here for some peace. Why? That's exactly what we're looking for. But Barbara, this house is too big for you. It really ought to be for a couple with a family, you know? Oh, Pumpkin, I didn't mean anything. It's just that, really, this house Jane, is too big. I'll see you in a few weeks, okay? Okay. All right. Think about it. Take care. Okay. You know, tragically, they save a dog's life, but end up drowning in, like, five feet of water. and Driving off a covered bridge. Ironically, that car was the highest uh, safety rated car of that year, the Volvo they were in. And... Unless you drive it off a covered bridge. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I'm uh, sure the airbags deployed, but they still died. Yeah. You could just kind of see the car. It's like just floating. It's like crawl out the window. They must have been knocked out or something. But <laughs> right. To harken back to the original script, I guess the car crash scene was supposed to be pretty fucking brutal. And you know how when they're in the waiting room later on in the movie, everybody has like an indicator of how they died. They wanted these two to be wet through the whole movie. And Barb was supposed to have like a crushed arm also, which (gasps) they remember when they walk into the house, she's like, my arm. Uh So they kind of kept the little mention of it. But yeah, they're the only ones in the waiting room later on that don't have like an indicator of of their death. And it was kind of, you know, they'd have to, I guess back then you couldn't really do it with special effects. They would have to really be wet the entire time they were filming. So that kind of would suck. It would be it would have been cool and sexy, though, for her to be a drowned victim that was wet through the entire movie, though. Maybe like let her nips poke out or something like that. You know what I'm saying? That would have been a classic 80s. Funny, but sexy, but they would have probably 
had rash all over them in those fucking clothes being wet for like eight hours a day. So I get it. But Yeah, and he's in a heavy flannel. Imagine that thing. Right. Rash. Yeah. But all the other characters do have death markers. The slits on the wrist, the, the shrunken head, the smashed guy that got hit by a bus. They're the only ones who are ambiguous, I guess you'd say. But you're also led to believe that everybody who works there has committed suicide because True. they're civil servants now. There's a mention of that later on. But I guess that one guy must have just hopped out in front of a bus or something like people do sometimes. But <laughs> everybody in the waiting room, they might not have committed suicide. But the and it's funny how like we are getting a little ahead, but how death is like the DMV and <laughs> even the, the lady working it. She's Miss Argentina. So you th- I, I kind of was thinking she must have like been Miss Argentina and then lost Miss World because she's got slit wrist. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's just too much to take that she didn't win at all. But anyway, to get back to the beginning, unless you had something to say. No, I'll time. get to it later. Um, I'll get to it later. I kind of like that first scene where they don't quite know they're dead, but they know something's off. Mm-hmm. And he goes outside and he's out there for what like a few seconds and then she pulls him back in he sees the first hint of a sandworm i have heard that's supposed to be saturn i don't know where that information originally came from but makes sense in the cartoon i don't know if you're familiar with the cartoon the place has a ring around it that you can see Mm. unless i'm remembering that wrong but i'm pretty damn sure i know there was comic books at one point the cartoon's trippy because lydia and beetlejuice are the main two characters and they're like buddies and go on adventures and shit so, weird yeah I, on this dvd there's three episodes of the cartoon i'm kind of excited to watch that later because i put it in last night and just started one of those i was like is this the wrong fucking dvd no it turns out there's bonus on there so oh but, my gosh yeah and i haven't I actually, never seen him oh i had beetlejuice toys there was one where he he's in the tuxedo still and has a, has the shrunken head and then there's one mm-hmm. where he's like a sandworm wrangler because he did that in the cartoon but anyway uh so you figure out that they know they're dead and they slowly come to terms with it. I think it's funny how he's content with it. He's just like chilling and she's getting bored and and he's like, maybe this is heaven. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I think it goes back to, honestly, this movie, we were discussing this earlier. The way it's written is almost a study in the human condition because it would be in the afterlife if you were a ghost the man is okay just palling around and doing whatever. But a female, like our minds never stop. We're never at rest. She's so bored. She has nothing to do. He's just building on his little town, completely content. Yeah, and she but he's, just... he's added a funeral in there, their funeral into the model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it is. It's down. just the human condition. It really is. And I mean, it's also a metaphor for marriage. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here we are, stuck in this house together forever. <laughs> You're and, right. I mean, at that point, they don't know how long they're supposed to be there. But uh, I also, it's very important to me because I've noticed the movie has three major references to the number six. And the first one is when they walk in after they've crashed and somehow they made it back home. And the cuckoo clock strikes and the cuckoo bird comes out. It's six o'clock. So... That's one reference. We'll get to the others later. But uh, I don't know. You know, sig- significance of that. It's an occult number. 
it's supposed to be a pretty powerful number. It is it's supposed just to be a number weird of... to me because I did a similar thing with numbers when I watched the movie and I came out with a different number. Don't tell but... me it's eight. No, even though okay. it came out in 1988, I will just skip past that one. We'll just say that's double eight random, but I actually found a significant reference to the number three. There is a and number three. And now you're in saying, yeah, now you're saying you found a significant reference to the number six. So I, I'm thinking that when the script was rewritten, did they include little shit like that? Because there are like some weird Easter eggs in Beetlejuice for what's to come in Tim Burton's work. You have to tell me about those. Like even Jack Skellington. Did What's you see the, it? It's is it the preacher that marries them? So there's like this carnival scene, and Jack Skellington's head is like on top of one of the tents. And what? um I'll have to I'll have to send you a screenshot, but I was like, that's fucking Jack Skellington. So there's a there, carnival scene? Yep. Mm-hmm. What? How okay. did I miss that? It's like so tiny. It's going on in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I believe you. I, th- I thought you meant like at the forefront, but yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. So I'll I'll have this. Actually, maybe I can pull it up right now. Yeah. So do you remember when he pops his head up? No, that. That carnival scene. Like in the oh, carnival on the, scene? on the very top of his hat. The tent. See, it's a little Jack Skellington. It sure is. So I feel like he did put like some of those little Easter eggs in there. Yeah. And it's funny too, because what year was that movie made? Jack, um, Nightmare Before. Yeah. I mean, that had to have been like 93. 93. So maybe he had like storyboarded it already because that sure as shit looks just like him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I feel like, and the only reason I bring this up is because I think that some of the stuff he put in is significant, even though it looks minuscule at the moment, if you know what I'm saying. When you said the thing about the six, I immediately got the bells went off because I found so many threes. And then the little Jack Skellington thing. There was another scene where it looks like there's one of the Blues Brothers behind them when they go to the DMV for the dead. And so... But we'll get into that later. They get back to the house. They figured it out. They're dead. Figured out they're dead. Mm -hmm. He's reading the handbook for the recently deceased at some point. This stuck out to me. And where he says he makes the comment that it reads like stereo instructions. Handbook for the recently deceased press. You know what? I don't think we survived the crash. I hate this. Just, can you give me the basics? Well, this book isn't arranged that way. What do you want to know? Well, why did you disappear when you stepped off the porch? Are we halfway to heaven? Are we halfway to hell? And how long is this going to last? I don't see anything about heaven or hell. This book reads like stereo instructions. Listen to this. Geographical and temporal perimeters. Functional perimeters vary from manifestation to manifestation. Oh, this is going to take some time, honey. 
And, <laughs> and then he says, listen to this, geographical and temporal perimeters, functional I can't even read my fucking own writing. Functional perimeters vary from manifestation to manifestation. And I just like stopped and thought about that for a while. And I mean, you could let your imagination run wild with that, but I thought it was kind of cool. It reminded me of like certain lines that we pointed out in Ghostbusters, mainly said by Ray, where they just like throw this weird shit out there. But it is kind of cool because it does seem like death is not unique or it is unique to every person nobody's experience in death is is alike anybody else's and maybe they're stuck together because they're married but they also are experiencing it very differently like we already pointed out but anyway it just from manifestation to manifestation it's just funny like and they all have caseworkers and shit it's just I it's think very that's bureaucratic actually, right i think that's actually one of the coolest parts of the movie and recently within the last i would say three years people have been coming out with these t-shirts and hats and hoodies and all this stuff and it's like the handbook for the recently deceased but they're different pictures and It'll look like the handbook for the recently deceased, but it's like a different chapter and it'll be like telekinesis. And it's just, I'll have to send you a picture, but I think that kind of stuff is cool because I grew up watching scary movies and I grew up watching Beetlejuice. And at the time you, unless you bought something in the eighties and have it now, you're never going to find that kind of merch if you know what I'm saying. So now they're coming out with all of it like it's brand new again, and I fucking love that. But the handbook for the recently deceased, I had never seen anything like that in a ghost movie before. I thought it was kind of actually practical. You know, what do you do if you're a ghost? Well, read this handbook. and It'll tell you everything. Yeah, and they just kind of treat it lightly because he's he's like rummaging, just kind of flipping through it. And it turns out to be pretty damn significant through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, typical, like, white privileged people. They don't need to read the instructions. Just, you know, take it <laughs> as it comes. So, yeah, I think that book is also a pretty clever idea. And then there's the one at the end of it that Charles is reading, how to, like, coexist, living and dead to coexist or something like that. I don't remember the exact title of it. But, yeah, so there's different variations of it. And that's, mm-hmm. I'll have to Google that after we get off and see all this, because I think Tim Burton is making a somewhat of a comeback. Like he kind of, he kind of went away so. until mm-hmm. Wednesday came out. And speaking of Wednesday, I guess Jenna Ortega is going to play Lydia's daughter in the sequel, which I can see. I couldn't get into Wednesday. I tried it. I, don't know. I tried it. I really wanted to like it because I loved Christina Ricci. And I loved the Adams Family. I watched Adams Family, Adams Family Values, all that shit. And she didn't. This my opinion, unpopular opinion. She didn't strike me as a Wednesday. Well, she also is shitting on it recently in interviews. She's like she's above it now. It's like, bitch, that shit made you. No one knew who Mm -hmm. you were before this. You've been in stuff, but everybody, you're a household name now. So anyway, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I think just to like not blink. And just stare straight ahead. I mean, Christina Ricci fucking nailed it in the original movie. Oh, my God. She nailed it so hard. And I think that Jenny Ortega brought a weird other aspect to the character that Christina Ricci did not. There was there was a little bit of uh, like a homicidal maniac in Wednesday, even though she was a young girl with Christina Ricci. But it 
it was weird in the new Netflix show. It was kind of, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying I to I got three quarters of the way into the episode. The first episode is, all, and I didn't even finish it. I fell asleep and I had no desire to turn it back on. But I, I've i heard things and they tried to make like updated because she's a teen now. And mm-hmm. didn't she, But yeah, didn't she go in there for attempting to murder somebody? Isn't that why they sent her yes. to the school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it was like the way Christina Ricci played Wednesday, there was still a girlish charm, I guess, to the character. And in the new Wednesday, that girlish charm was not as present. It was more verging on actual mental illness, kind of in a dark, like, straight jacket kind of way. And Christina Ricci, it was, it was, she went to the camp, you remember in the second one when no. she was, got sent away by Debbie or whatever. And she was still in the play, play, she played Pocahontas and there was still like this girlish charm about her. And I did not feel like that followed through with the, the new, I guess, representation of Wednesday. But I'm also super biased because I loved the way Christina Ricci played it, but we'll see. We'll see Beetlejuice too. We'll see if we'll see if it's good. Yeah. I I'm excited because I just checked on it again for the last several years. I've been looking and it's just pre-production mm-hmm. just kind of stuck there, mm-hmm. but they're filming right now. There's even pictures from the set. So it's got quite a cast. I know that Willem Dafoe's in it. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is returning. I don't think they're letting the pedophile dad back in. No. So. Yeah. So this is, I Googled it just today to give you some updated information. And it said that it's um, circa September 2024 yeah. release date. And for sure, Jenny Ortega, Michael Keaton, Monica Pellucci, and Winona Ryder, for sure. Monica Pellucci, it says her she's billed as Beetlejuice's wife, which I don't know how okay. that's going to be a, a factor. He settled for we'll somebody because he wanted Lydia. Uh, he wanted sure. his child bride, which. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think so, it's cool that Winona's coming back, though. But anyways, go ahead. She has to come back. Like, mm-hmm. I'd be pissed if she didn't. And you know what? You know, she kind of left for a while, too. She's my favorite kleptomaniac. And as far as Hollywood troubles go, you know, I think she served her time in, you know, the court of public opinion. But. Fuck Stranger Things is just kind of giving her her John Travolta Pulp Fiction moment. She's fucking doing it all now. Yeah, I'm so happy to see her returning. I have to say one of my favorite roles from her was in Girl Interrupted, though. I loved that movie when I... So actually, I, I loved it and I hated it. I mean, it's very triggering. Um, But I thought that the whole Angelina Jolie, Winona Ryder, Brittany Murphy was so classic 90s i mean how can you not appreciate that britney murphy angelina jolie winona Ryder, and jared leto all right come on you know that's Brittany like murphy, classic 90s she always w- became like the main character in movies that she wasn't the main character of like you could say the same thing about clueless like it could have been her story if you looked at it differently and she, yeah she's my favorite thing about girl interrupted by far and britney murphy yeah, she's yeah. my favorite character in that. Did you but, have a, a crush on um? What was her name in in Clueless? The main character, oh. or oh, her character's name. Yeah, her character's oh. name 
in don't remember. Clueless. Damn it. Yeah, because she's like the ugly duckling. She shows up. They give her a makeup. She is. Yeah. They give her a little makeup tie. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, anyways, going back to Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're kind of at the point where the family shows up. And it's a really classic scene when they're moving their shit in. And you just get to see how Delia treats the help. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get the sense that there's some distance between mother and stepdaughter. There's some weird tension between father and daughter. And this is my first impression of like something's happened that's kind of disrupted their lives and they're getting away from that. And she likes it. Lydia likes it because Delia hates it. And she sees a spider web, which she say, I could live here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think <laughs> the iconic lines everybody remembers are Lydia's, but I think. Uh, Catherine O'Hara has some very, very good one-liners in this movie. She does. She and really he, does. She's almost like prelude to Shit's Creek character. It's almost the same damn character. Mm-hmm. Even the setup's the same. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. And she's not quite as snooty yet, but you can see she could easily get there. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think one of the most iconic lines is is from Lydia, but it's about the mom she said she's sleeping with prince valium tonight or something like that <laughs> as a kid too you don't know what the fuck that means i didn't at the time i was like i thought oh, it was like a, which prince is that i don't remember hearing about him and then yeah like years later it's like oh she was fucking popping pills <laughs> right uh, he was like a total pill head like stressed out new yorker <laughs> yeah so I guess, you know, the, the movie kind of progresses through there. And I think that it's it's weird how that scene where she's levitating Barbara and then there's like a slight earthquake and she falls. I always thought that had to have some kind of meaning behind it. They never really explained it because that's when the family moves in. That's the first time you see the family get, getting there. And, you know, that classic scene of Lydia looking out the car window. But I what do you think that, that is? I think to me... When I saw the levitation scene, it was them developing their power on the other side. They were just starting to manifest abilities. They didn't know how to be dead. They were kind of still learning how to be dead. And right as the new family arrives, they're starting to develop some more abilities uh, they don't know how to show themselves or not show themselves. That's all stuff they start learning. But it's the the um, beginning of that, I think, is the levitation, in my opinion, because they were kind of still living like normal people until you see kind of the levitation and you're like, well, they're really fucking dead, you know. So that's kind of like when it starts to pick up. That's the momentum that we were waiting for, you know, at the beginning of the movie. And then they find like the the handbook and they go to the DMV and stuff. And then they meet, um, damn it, Joan or J- Juno. 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 They meet Juno. Who, does she not have a, a, a tray call or something? No, that's what I thought initially. But those aren't big. This was like a throat slice. And she is a civil oh. servant. So did she slice her own throat? But- oh, I thought she had a tray call or something. No, because that's what you would think. And I thought that when I was a little kid, because she takes a dra- drag of the cig and it just goes out. Yes. But you, I don't. And it makes sense to me that that's not what it is, because there's the guy that Adam's sitting next to in the waiting room. And he's like, 
I think he offers Adam a cigarette or something, but he's he looks like yes. he's like fallen asleep and burned himself to death or something in his apartment. Uh, yep. Oh my gosh. I those are the classic, you know, you you see that person who's just chugging the butts and they had some type of weird cigarette related death. I thought that she had a tray coal, um, but I guess not. But the whole smoke coming out of her neck was it was perfect. Yeah. And later on, you find out that Beetlejuice used to be her assistant. And it leads me to believe he had to have killed himself, too. And this is something you can kind of string together because at the when they're marrying each other or he's trying to marry Lydia and he has a little moment where he goes off. He's like, oh, do I want to do it? I don't know. I said, I'd only do it once. So he's <laughs> been married before. And I'm thinking it was either the comic book or the original screenplay. I don't remember now where it came from, but it mentions that he hung himself after like a broken heart. So which would kind of, mm. you know, maybe explain why he's such a fucking perverted fuck is he's, he's still got some issues he's dealing with. Isn't it also at the beginning of the movie though, that says if you kill yourself, you become a civil servant in well, the afterlife. He said that, and he said he was a paranormal researcher, but he also had found the handbook at that point. And so I think he might've got it out of there. And uh-huh. the entire the entire staff at the bureaucratic death DMV, uh, it is all people who killed themselves. So it would that would make you think they're civil servants. But yeah, who knows how the hell that lady died? She's definitely got a big slice. And oh, Sylvia Sidney is the name of that actress. She was like a really big Depression era actress, and she died. I think 13 years later or something of esophagus cancer. So it's kind of like a, a weird little trippy ass foreshadowing. It is a foreshadowing. I mean, she was chugging the butts though mm-hmm. in the movie, you know, she wasn't faking that shit. She had yeah. the voice and everything. Yeah. Her voice sounded like gravel. So you knew she was being authentic in that role. Something I was going to ask you about. If you kill yourself and you become a civil servant in the afterlife and you have death markers, the shrunken head guy, the guy that got ran over by the bus. Why is Miss Argentina green? You don't have an appointment, do you? Well, we didn't know how to make one. Appointment for what? What do you want? We need some help. Already? You just bit the big one two months ago and you want help. Two months? What does that have to do with anything? You're going to use up all your health vouchers. D-90s. You spend 125 years on Earth, actually in that house, during which you get only three Class 1 D-90 intercessions with Juno. You probably haven't even read through the manual completely yet. You'll have to wait if you don't have an appointment. An appointment with who? For Juno, your caseworker. Number 54,601, Ferndock. I don't know. And also, you can't really tell because of the lighting, but the the horror house that Juno actually puts in the model to distract Beetlejuice, it looked like they were very similar in looks to the woman that's working. I don't remember what she said her name was. She has a name. One was one. The one of the girls in the whorehouse was blue. Blue. Yeah. And so the only thing that I can think of. The only thing I can think of is that she slit her wrists in the bathtub and they it took them a while to find her or something. And she kind of like got gross in the tub and turned green or something to that effect. Because I wanted to dress as her one year for Halloween 
And I was so committed to doing it. But to do, she literally, every inch of her was green. I would have had it painted my neck, chest, arms, inside my ear, back of my neck, my back, everything painted green. And I just, something about it, I was like, that is so much fucking work for one afternoon. (laughs) So I didn't do it. But she's got this mint green skin and this coral outfit on and it's very iconic everyone knows as soon as they see a picture what movie that's from but i just don't understand what would have caused that for her to be a green person on the other side yeah and why is it green because to get to the the little waiting room they have to draw the door and it's funny how barb's just like oh you expected that to work and he just oh knock three times but Mm -hmm. when it opens up there's green light spilling through too and you kind of wonder like why is it green over there? It's very green themed. And I don't know. Yeah. What is it? It's like a bad bowling alley kind of <laughs> lighting. Yeah. So I I think maybe that's just kind of 80s style too. I know that as I was t- talking about Edward Scissorhands and I'm a visual person and I just loved the contrast of colors in Edward Scissorhands, maybe they included some of that in Beetlejuice just for the visual effect because a lot of Tim Burton stuff has this either very vibrant colors or very muted colors. Uh, so I think he's a brilliant genius when it comes to giving you a visual experience as well. Yeah, when it comes to the visuals, I think he might be the best director ever. I think so, too. Visually. I don't think he's the best director, per se, but there's no, I mean. No, but the visual aspect, if he's he's not in your top three, I want to know who's in the top three. Because visually, even Willy Wonka, when he did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it just took it to the next level, you know? I need to watch that again with a more open mind because I hated I mean, it when I only saw it once and I wanted to like it and I didn't. I didn't like Johnny Depp's performance in it. I thought he was really kind of. I didn't love it. but I'll, And I'll tell you that as much as I admire Johnny Depp as an actor, despite the conspiracy theories and everything, just watching him acting, I do appreciate the movies that he's been in. But you cannot get past Gene Wilder. You cannot. There's no way. But visually speaking, the river of chocolate and all of that with the more modern graphics, I thought if you could have just took Gene Wilder and plopped him into (laughs) the Tim Burton movie, it would have been magnifique. But that's not what happened. I think that the weird bowl cut that they gave Johnny Depp really threw me off, too, because it was just horrendous. He reminds me of Michael Jackson in the movie. I don't know why. (laughs) His voice or the way he like, I don't know, the makeup. Maybe. uh, Yeah, it's this weird look. But I think Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, their careers are very parallel, not just because they've made like 12 movies together. But they both started out indie, anti-studio. And then later on, as they got into their career, they both embraced it. But I think that's something that I wanted to mention at some point, just to show how kind of anti-studio he was. They wanted to call this movie House Ghosts, the studio. Mm-mm. Yeah. And he was like, what? And then as a joke, he goes, why don't we just call it Scared Sheetless? And they were <laughs> like, oh, my God, that's genius. And then he had to talk him out of it. He's like, I was kidding. Like, no, we're not calling it that. So... 
Yeah, Beetlejuice is just a title that makes you curious. It's like the perfect thing to call this project. Yeah, I don't think it would have been as successful if it was called Scared Sheetless. What do you know about the constellation? Or is it just one? I think it might just be one star. It's a supernova that's mm -hmm. called Beetlejuice. But um, that's actually something that I was going to get your thoughts on. The spelling of the name on the movie behind you is Beetle B. E E T L E Juice J U I C E. But in the movie, and anywhere you look online, when you look for the name of the character, it's like Beetlegeist, which is one of the funny scenes with Alec Baldwin when he says Beetlegeist or Beetlegist or whatever he, he says. He says Beetlegeist. It's like, and it's, yeah, because they find the flyer, it just kind of conveniently slips out of the book. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's spelled B E T E L. G U E S E or, or is it E U S E? Yeah, it's spelled like like Beetlegeist, and it's also that way in the subtitles too. Whenever is. they say his name, it is. And I I was gonna get your thoughts on why didn't they just say Beetlegeist on the cover of the movie? I've wondered that too. I think maybe the ambiguity of it, maybe. Is is appealing in a way because Tim Burton's kind of like that. But I think that it may have been a studio decision at the end of the day. Maybe they're like, yes, we can call it that, but we're going to spell it the way it sounds so that no one's calling it Beetle Guys. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a compromise. He, he's like, all right, as long as you don't fucking call it scared sheetless. Which, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. You know, when she, when Lydia is up there and he's trying to get her to say it three times and giving her Playing the trades. the clues she's beetle like drink? beetle beetle <laughs> breakfast beetle are you a ghost too i'm the ghost with the most babe you know you look like somebody i can relate to maybe you could maybe you could help me get out of here you know because i gotta tell you this uh it's death thing. It's just too creepy. See, here's my problem. I got these friends on the outside that I said I'd meet, you know, and that's the kind of thing I have to be there in person, you know. So I was just wondering, could you help me get out of here? I don't want to get in. Why? Well, well, you know, hey, you probably got your reasons, uh, but the thing is, I can't do anything from over here if you could get me out over there then maybe we could talk or something but you know in order to do that you gotta say my name three times what's your name well uh i can't tell you why not you know why because if i tell you you tell your friends your friends are calling me on the horn all the time i gotta show up at shopping centers for openings and sign autographs and shit like that and that makes my life a hell okay a living hell but maybe do you have a pen maybe we can oh i know you can play charades yeah. Ah, good, good. Ah, here we go then. Ready? Um, two words. Right. Ah. Uh, first word, two syllables. <laughs> you know, just turn. Uh, no. I don't know what your signal means. Turn around and look behind you. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Beetle. God, okay. Now, two, take one. Uh, breakfast, orange, orange beetle, uh, beetle fruit, beetle breakfast, uh, beetle drink. 
For me, it was kind of goofy because it's like, of course, bitch, like it's Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetle know, orange. Yeah, you <laughs> might have like said two things before Beetlejuice, but she like goes on five or six answers. Before oh, she my God. Beetle it's drink just... is my favorite one. She goes from breakfast to drink. It's like orange beetle, beetle drink. Yeah, and she's not dumb. Her character is probably the smartest one in the movie. Uh, beetle breakfast. Beetle. Uh, that's funny. And we definitely have probably summoned this motherfucker at this point. We've said it like 13 times. But uh, yeah, so in the original script, though, he didn't have to be summoned at all. So that's something that they, they wrote in there. Um, he just had to be exhumed from his grave, which I think they did that, but then they had to summon him on top of that. And I think there's somewhere in here. Yes. Okay. So I was going to go over this, this three thing, if you're ready for it, or do you want to go further into the movie first? Well, I did want to get to the second six since we, and then we'll go into your thing. Oh yeah. We're, we're in the waiting room right now and there's, they go to door six is where they're sent right and as they're walking by i think this is a key part of the movie they see the room of lost souls and the the creepy janitor guy kind of with the big old eyeballs is like yeah it's where you go when you're exercised death for the dead so you know now that you can die within this afterlife it's not permanent there's or layers to it exiled to mm-hmm. uh uh i don't know a hell of some kind. Yeah, and I always got creeped up. There's green again. The Room of Lost Souls is green, and they're just like plasma-looking phantoms, and they just look lost, I guess, hence I Lost mean, Souls. Green is a significant color to the dark occult, which I, with my conspiracy mind, always note numbers and colors when I watch anything. And green is very significant to the dark occult, but the whole idea of the afterlife in this movie is a cult in nature anyways, especially since Beetlejuice is this bio-exorcist. But I didn't really pick up on anything that was just blatantly obvious as far as, oh, this is this is a hidden symbolism. This is... Um, but I could I could be wrong. I I did pick up on the the numbers thing, but I yeah get into that because I think we're done with the waiting room segment. Tell me um, about three. So, saying Beetlejuice's name three times, obviously mm-hmm. that's the first thing I I was like, okay, so you have to say Beetlejuice three times. So we have three. Let's see if any other threes are significant. And, um, what stood out to me. You remember in The Wizard of Oz, she has to click her heels three times. As, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And Barbara says home three times to get out of the model. When he's trying to get so, him in for dinner. <laughs> yes. She says home, home. You think that's yeah, a nod so, to... to uh... With my conspiracy brain, Colby, you know I do. 
I hadn't thought so, of that. Um, are we over the rainbow in Beetlejuice? Are we seeing this disassociated state that they're in? Maybe. So uh, the door to the civil servant's office requires three knocks. Yeah. And the number of first class uh, something intercession. I can't even read my own writing. Hang on. <laughs> We're both having problems it's... with our own writing. Because <laughs> I just like jotted was it, it down. Was it it's, a voucher? It's the number of first class intercessions allotted is what I wrote. Is that something in the waiting room they hear? It had to have been. But see, I write shit down and I'm like, I'll not forget this. And then here I am. And I can't remember what that was supposed to mean. Um. The movie was released on March 30th. So three and then three. Yes. Nice. Um, Delia also throws a tantrum when she sees there are only three sculptures instead of four. Um, and then there's a reference to a fatal plane crash in the movie over the loudspeaker. There's this reference to a fatal plane plane crash from 1955 and then while adam and barbara are in juno's office you can hear flight 409 is arriving at gate three that must be the crashed football players something because they they reference the the plane crash and then they say flight 409 is arriving at gate three and then the last airport and a dmv all mixed in one (laughs) oh for fuck's sake the house that they're living in is three floors. You got a lot of so, trees. Yeah, that is a very significant reoccurring number. And, you know, but three, when, six, but, nine, it's all significant. That's what I was going to say, though. When you said that you found sixes, I was like, okay, so this is where the great minds think alike part because three, six, nine. And uh, with the color green and this whole afterlife moment happening, is this kind of um, a reference to maybe some dark occult type of, you know, little wink, a little nod. There's no place like home. You have to say home three times. It's just interesting to me. Well, I got somewhat of a loose theory. And that's kind of why I asked you about when she's when she's levitating. And the house rumbles like a little mini quake and she falls and the family shows up right at that moment. I was wondering last night in my slightly drunken stoned state, is this the beginning of their manifestation? Is the, is this family even real or is this their purgatory? Because this rumbling happens, she falls, the family rolls in and the entire tone of the movie, this is like act two beginning of the movie. So I was right. wondering if like, is this just their you know, everybody, I wouldn't want to say punishment, but it is their purgatory. They're sentenced to their house for 125 years, which when you add all those up, you get another eight, one, two, five. So I, I mean, I didn't, you know, you try to give meaning to everything. And so I was just like, yeah, I don't even know if I'll mention that. But since you're mentioning like this occult afterlife stuff, I kind of thought maybe it's worth mentioning. Hey, and that's what I like to do uh, with movies because you can watch it as a regular person and enjoy it and then you go back with your conspiracy mind and you watch it again and then just weird stuff kind of sticks out to you like the sixes and the threes and came out march 30th 1988 the green the this the that and i'm curious to see how things unfold in this beetlejuice 2 because they had a script written um kind of briefly 
mentioned after the first one came out. And it's been how many years? And they never uh, made it. It's been 35 years. So it's, it's gonna be 30... th- it's gonna be fucking 36 years when it comes out next year. Oh, just... see? It's you also want to hear something else? Years. Nine and six, September this is the loose release date, is nine six of two of two four, which is six. Wow. But that is the third wow. anniversary of Conspiracy Playtime. We launched our show on the 2021 uh, September 6th. I swear the stars are aligning. (laughs) I read that this morning on the bus on the way to work and I was just like, that's our third anniversary and then you get 9, 6, 2, and 4 is 6. And I was just like, this is fucking weird. Three six nines. I'm telling you, three six nines all over Beetlejuice and the colors. Like, even if you look at the, the cover art, like I'm looking at it right now behind you, is it not a green strip on the top? Yeah, and it's also that weird fluorescent green, both the letters and the bar across the top. So there's the green and purple, which is also significant. The moon. But you have her. your your uh, black and white right there. Well, he's got the black and white striped suit, and then you get the checkerboard floors when you go into the bureaucratic waiting room of the deck. Yes. And, I mean, we could all know what that means. See, I'm telling you. It doesn't always mean that, I don't think, because I love chess. I love playing chess and I'm like, chess is hey. not about fucking pedophiles. <laughs> but No, but they do use it quite often. And I think the pedophile dad guy is interest is an interesting uh, selection. We'll just say. Have you, well, the, every movie set's got to have one fucking raging one pedophile. pedo I just mean, per- one pedo to keep i mean the, the shit yeah. you found in ghostbusters too like i can't i still haven't watched it again by the way i want to but <laughs> I, I like waiting for the john denver nephew thing to quit creeping me out but anyway hey, if nobody's seen that episode just trying, go back and watch that shit i was trying to find something as significant as that for beetlejuice but the best that i could do i guess i shouldn't say best the most interesting thing that i found was the jeffries guy with his weird pedophilia photo stash and then that 14-year-old boy. But the Alec Baldwin thing is also interesting because of his family and some of the shady shit that's went around with them. Uh, So we do have kind of like a weird cast. We have a pedophile, a Baldwin, Michael Keaton, who is only there for two weeks, and Winona Ryder. And then um, I did include some stuff about the the main the Barbara from Earth Girls Are Easy in my Jim Carrey breakdown. So I think that if you're in the scene, you kind of all know about each other and what each other is into. Yeah, it's weird, too. This shit makes for strange bedfellows because I've seen that both uh, Ashton Kutcher and Mel Gibson are on a fucking rampage right now. And I'm like, come on, guys. You know what happened to Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington. You should probably either. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I, Ashton Kutcher surprised me because he's been right in the middle of all of this stuff. And I know he's seen stuff. So the fact that he's speaking out against it, I like him a lot more than I used to just for that. But yeah. Well, didn't he like briefly? No, I don't think he did. I think he was with Demi Moore at the time. But he was in that one really funny movie with Brittany Murphy. Oh, and where they're trying to short- be like fuck buddies or something? Or no, that wasn't it. 
the the one where they get married but they go on a honeymoon and like everything goes wrong and they end up wanting to like kill each other at the is end is it called and... just married or something like that yeah just married i, n- I never yeah, saw it my one. sister loved it but i never sat down hey, and watched it. very funny i, I mean for recommend. her i would watch anything now that especially now that she's dead I'll, i should cherish everything she's done you yeah. really should that was a really good one by and the he's way, funny but... I mean, I have heard weird shit about him, but just because uh, what's her name was 14 when they started that 70s show. He He's with her now, Mila Kunis. And he and then like she turned 18 during the production of the show. Then they were able to like do kissing scenes and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't think that means anything as far as him being guilty of like grooming her. It's like it's a fucking show. She was casting it. That wasn't his choice. I don't think that he really had anything to do with that because they were casted in a show they're spending enormous amounts of time together yeah. and she was cute he was cute so obviously maybe a little romance started and they kind of grew up together on that show so i mean give me a break but yeah i mean i to get back to beetlejuice i think that we kind of got to where they get back from the the waiting room and they meet juno for the first time and she's like you've been gone for three months but she she waited for him and then yeah, the house is all remodeled now. They barely recognize it when they first get there. And you could tell she's like wanting to get the fuck out of there within a few minutes, even though she's been waiting for three months. And she's just kind of very impatient with them. Is like, you got to figure this shit out on your own. And I don't know if that's when they find out the 125-year sentence. But she kind of just kind of changes their perspective a little bit, leaves. Now they're left to deal with this alone. They also are warned by her to not summon Beetlejuice. And you kind of find out about his past. So, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything around this point in the movie you want to talk about? Because I think it kind of starts going pretty fast at this point. Yeah, we pick up speed around this time. And what happens? So they get back. Is that when they put the sheets on and they're trying that's, to? That's the next scene because okay. she tells them, like, you got to figure this shit out. Read the fucking book that we left for you. And they left it when they left. And Lydia has now looked at it. And of this kind of the strange and unusual line which is one of the iconic mm-hmm. lines you know the dark room line i think we may have already passed that point but I, that fucking line has been sampled in like fucking heavy metal songs and shit it's just one big and the way she pauses as she delivers that line <laughs> yes. so perfect was this the first thing she was in do you know no no way it doesn't say introducing so it couldn't be but no, she was in. She had to. She was been fifteen else before that. I mean, if one of the older movies I can think of off the top of my head is Heather's, and then of course Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Wait, know. let's look. Winona Ryder movie. <gasps> yeah, they they put on. It was. So why didn't they say introducing? I wonder, because that's kind of a thing that's they've done for a while. So Beetlejuice and Heathers came out in the same year, 1988. Really? And then hmm. Mermaids, 1990. I've never heard of that. It has Cher in it. Okay, I have You've really never that. seen that? I've never seen it. have heard of it. Didn't know why Nona was in it. And then it was like Edward Scissorhands, da 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 da. Or yeah. wait, when did Edward Scissorhands? I think yeah, ninety one. So it was it was nineteen ninety that Edward Scissorhands came out. Then oh, like 90. Girl Interrupted, nineteen ninety nine. So I guess it was her first. Damn, I never knew that. See, I just can't think of seeing you learn any... something new every every day. I thought it might be, but yeah, it's weird that it doesn't say and introducing Winona Ryder because 
that's like a thing they usually do. But anyways, Maybe it's good that they didn't because she went on to be infamous. Yeah, she really is. And I, what I like about her character and her as an actress in this movie, she's like got the body of like a little 15 year old, but her voice sounds exactly like it does to this day. She's got this mm-hmm. real grown up adult voice, low yes. gravelly voice, and she's just so somber. But she's got those eyes that you feel like you're just staring right into, which, you know, Timber is good at finding She has a weird that. thing about the way she says her S's. And I used to not like that about her. It's almost kind of like a lisp thing. And then I pointed it out to someone and I said, I don't like the way Winona Ryder pronounces her S's. And they said, you pronounce your S's weird too. So you cannot be a fucking critic. And I was like, okay. You know what they say about the things that we don't like is project inner projections. (laughs) I thought that after they said that, I was like, Maybe. <laughs> like, maybe fuck, I need just... to see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But okay, so Winona Ryder's first movie, and she they uh don these uh designer sheets, I guess, and try to scare the family. And Lydia says uh something to the effect of uh she'll kill you when she finds you've got up her sheets or something. Yeah, and it's funny too because she at first when she hears this, she thinks it's them having sex, her dad and Delia having sex. <laughs> and then she goes out and starts taking pictures of them thinking that's her her mom and or her stepmom and her dad. And this is a hole to me. Tell me what you think of this plot hole. It might not be, but she can see them. Well, that was established earlier on when she's standing outside in the yard. But she takes a picture of them and looks at it and she can't see their feet in the picture. And it's like, well, why can't she see their feet if it's a picture? I always thought that was kind of odd. Maybe it's just I'm reading too much into it. Maybe they did not have time to ghost them up enough. They Where it would be a... obvious to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like these are ghosts. Because they have no feet, yeah. <laughs> you know, but maybe I don't know. I think that she takes that picture of them when they're in the window, I think. Right. Uh, she doesn't take a picture of them in that scene. She's just looking through her camera and notices oh, them, and lowers the camera yep. and obviously can see them. Mm-hmm. That little girl just saw us, Adam. Yes. And but then she no takes pictures of them and then their feet are missing. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it was just a convenient kind of ooh, 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 ooh. I got it. So you know how they can be seen if they want to be seen and they can be invisible if they want to be invisible, but maybe they still have mass. Was that ever established, though? Because it seems to be the rule, but I don't remember them ever like that being said, because you remember when they during the dinner scene, which we're almost two, but they run up and they actually get into the room and they're hanging outside the window. Because they're hiding. It's like, why can't you just fucking be invisible right now? Like, this rule is kind of loose, depending on what part of the movie you're in. I'm going to go with they changed the script last minute, and a lot of that shit they just thought up on the spot. It could be. I know this script did go through several adaptations. So, But, yeah, I think it's like once they know you're there, they can see you. Because they revealed themselves basically by possessing the entire fucking dinner party, which we're pretty much there anyway. Lydia has the conversation. And you do. I noticed this because it was mentioned in the first scene of the movie that they have probably been trying to have kids, but aren't having any luck. The the mm-hmm. cousin realtor lady or whatever brings it up. And then you see 
Barb, during the first scene with Lydia, she is forming this bond with her almost instantly, which does carry forward into the movie. But uh, yeah, it's kind of, I think it's a key scene where you almost see like they're starting to have second thoughts already because mm-hmm. they like they like this girl. And yeah, so she, Lydia then tells Delia while she's making dinner for the party they're having that night, she just laughs it off and and basically tells her, don't fucking bring that shit up tonight and embarrass me in front of all my uppity friends. And mm-hmm. I think that entire scene, I like that you brought it up because I didn't know that that song wasn't even supposed to be the song. It was going to be fucking Michael Bolton. And it was going to be it that would have been horrible when a man loves a woman. I can't imagine. slow dance. And it's because once you've seen something like how do you imagine Robin Williams as Beetlejuice after you've seen Michael Keaton nail it? I can't imagine them doing a slow dance in that scene. It just wouldn't be the same. It definitely wouldn't have been as funny. No. And it's one it, that entire scene, even before the music starts, Catherine O'Hara's performance in that scene just shows her acting chops, which she does the fake laugh with, at, uh, as Otho like makes the reference of, yeah, she's just mad because her sister dropped a house or someone dropped a house on her sister. And she does that. Oh, and she kind of just looks around and then like looks really disappointed that she's the only one that laughed. And there's a few so, things like that. Is that another Wizard it is of a Oz reference. reference? Definitely is what it is. And now it's funny too, because I knew that one was, but I never thought of the home, 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 which has to be. It has to be. Now that you've pointed it out, I can't unsee it. So, yeah, maybe there's more that we're... Next time I watch them, I'm going to look for more Wizard of Oz references. They might be chock full of them. Dude, they're everywhere. I really honestly... Is it Toto that makes them crash at the beginning? No. (laughs) More of a little terrier. I think Um, Toto is a schnauzer. I honestly was thinking about reviving the Wizard of Oz breakdown... And adding more stuff because it's just everywhere. When you really look, they always include something about over the rainbow or there's no place like home. It's it's the CIA even incorporated into their fucking MK Ultra programming. Apparently, I mean, it's literally everywhere. And by design, I uh, going back to the dinner scene though. Uh, they played Beetlejuice at my local theater for Halloween last year. And I think the tickets were real cheap, like five bucks a, a person or something like that. And um, my husband surprised me. And he was like, well, I got you t- tickets to go see Beetlejuice. And when it got to that scene, he always tells me, like, I have the worst taste in movies. I, I like the 80s movies and da, 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 da. And when it got to that scene, I kind of like looked over at him. And even he was laughing. This, this, you can't get past the dinner scene. You fall in love with the movie after the dinner scene in my opinion it just seals it all in it's just and you know dick cavett you know who he is he's like the og johnny he's before johnny carson i think he was Mm. so he plays bernard the her agent the guy that calls her a flake and tells her that if you want to scare people stick to your art that's dick cavett so look him up. okay very iconic in like the late night tv world i think he fucking might have been the first one i don't know i could be wrong about that He's also a conspiracy theorist. He had this JFK theory that he talked about. And no one really wants to remember that he did that because that wasn't cool to do back then. But no, you'd be ousted. Yeah. And maybe that's why he's not Johnny Carson. I don't know. But I want to make sure I'm thinking of the right guy because that would be a hell of a thing to promote here if it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It is Dick Cavett. So he started in, looks like, 
So he was born in 1936. Oh, shit. Right off the bat, we got a connection Ooh. there. Says he was active from 59 to present, but his... Oh, he's done a lot of Shakespeare, it looks like. Hmm. Don't get me started on Shakespeare. That's a whole nother episode. So he was also a stand-up comic. So he did 68 to 74. And I don't know when Johnny Carson was active, so he might not have been before him. But I thought it was a weird choice for Tim Burt to put him in this very small role and even for him very to Very small. It. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not finding anything like, about uh, JFK. Insignificantly That could have been, been bullshit. No, oh, no I mean, no, I remember, no, I remember random stuff like that. Okay, the, I was going to say, sometimes I say stuff and I'm like, episode. Oh discussing the assassination of robert kennedy so i'm sure i'm so sure because that's probably a big part to do with why he wasn't more successful in his later career well he's like i gotta do bit parts in tim burton movies before he's famous <laughs> but you know michael keaton also yeah. originally didn't want to he passed on this role which mm -hmm. his career would have been completely different because this was basically his audition to play Batman a year later. Uh, Tim Burton I thought so. wanted yes. to work with him after seeing him nail this role. And it's so funny because they're so different, the roles. And, you know, I think Michael Keaton might be one of the most underrated actors out there. Everyone knows him and likes him, but I think he's really fucking good. So I had this conversation with our friend Davey. And he said that Michael Keaton is his Batman. And I always say Christian Bale is my Batman. But I think that the graphic, again, I'm a visual person. The graphics in the Michael Keaton Batman just were not as good. And maybe that's why I didn't like the movie as much. I mean, the thing that you got to remember it always is jack nicholson playing the joker but okay my okay. batman is george clooney because the costume had nipples <laughs> and I was just hey! like, yeah. added some nipples <laughs> we brought nipples to the batman universe perfect but you know i don't know i don't know who mine is i never really thought about it but Christian so we're Bell. a cosmic we're a cosmopolitan we have michael keaton christian bale and george clooney like no know. one's gonna pick ben affleck i hope nobody's picking ben affleck no, no my brother actually told me how fucking good the Ben Affleck Batman movie was. I watched it on an airplane and was like, even for an airplane movie, this is horrible. I didn't finish it. I paid six bucks to watch no it. Way. And didn't finish it. Yeah, <laughs> no way. Yeah. It was not good. Um, but yes, okay. So dinner scene. Then we start seeing another side to, um, Otho because he starts to become this medium of sorts and he's going to tell us all about the other side and he wants to profit off of the ghosts in the house on behalf of the Dietz family. Yeah. They all pretty much go there. Uh, Chuck. Yes. We're here for your daughter, Chuck, but Charles mentioned something about capitalizing off of it. 
the witch wife, the sister got a house dropped on her. She says, National Geographic's offering 50 grand for anybody who can provide proof. And then the dad's shaking those Polaroids mm-hmm. that Lydia took. Yeah. And Otho's really trying to put it in motion. The Dick Cavett character is the only one who's still skeptical. He's, he doesn't really believe that that just happened. He wants more proof, which if you were just possessed and took place in that. how <laughs> Right. You think maybe it hit him on the drive home? Like, what the fuck just happened in there? Maybe he's just like it's denial. Like- Oh my God, that's the best I've ever danced. <laughs> my favorite part of the whole thing is where Otho grabs the bucket and turns it upside down. And starts... <laughs> yes. And he just starts very patting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's a medium now. And because he grabbed, when they left the second time, he grabs the book. So Lydia has seen yes. it. And this is what pisses Juno off that mm-hmm. you let people photograph you, you you let them see the handbook, and she's kind of like threatening them, like you know you gotta fix this. Hey, I see her point though because until then everything was hunky dory, and then they showed up and it was just a shit fucking show. <laughs> These two yuppies from Connecticut have to fuck up the afterlife for everyone. Yes. Yeah, so I guess at that point we're to where. Max Dean now comes and they're really trying, I guess, to backtrack a little bit. Lydia tries to get them to come down. They're expecting everybody to scatter and they're watching that through the window. And Lydia's like, they want to meet you. And they're just like, what? What the fuck? We, <laughs> we killed it. And they, they want to meet us. So, yeah, it didn't work like they wanted. And now we're getting to the point where Max Dean is coming and they really got to sell this. They moved the fucking uh, model, which I have a theory about the model, by the way. They move it downstairs. I think the model is a portal because Beetlejuice is inside the model, but there's no way that makes sense because this model was just built by Adam like within the last however long, but it is how they get Beetlejuice into this realm. So I think it's something they They visit the model a few times mm-hmm. And when Charles sees the model for the first time, he almost has like a weird, you, you know, yeah, he's I mean? mesmerized it was a by we- it. Yes. Yeah. So was that Adam's life passion energizing a portal? Some sort of... You know, when you put your heart and soul into something and then he died and his connection to that kind of opened a portal. Yeah. And it might even be Maybe. some foreshadowing where that spider at the very beginning, one of the first shots of the movie is it, obviously it's panning over the real town, that crane shot, mm-hmm. or it's probably a helicopter. And then they magically turn it into the model when it comes on their house. Then you can tell that's a model. But yeah, that fucking element as a little kid seeing that the first time it's the one thing i remember is like oh my god that's a huge fucking spider because you're thinking this is a house when you're little Mm -hmm. and then adam so delicately handles the spider it's like he's trying to be so careful with it then he just tosses it out the third story window (laughs) it's like it's like why didn't you just smash it then i mean i think a spider could maybe live i don't know are they like cats do they land like that but anyway he would have had a cast of fuck of a web and that was a real spider too Mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin did his own stunts in this movie <laughs> back before he was too good. So yeah, the I guess the scene with uh, yeah, we're kind of at the, like the climax of the movie now, really. With the, the red wedding, yeah, 
and this is very occultist for the for the entire movie. This scene might be the one that's like worth talking to the Patriot about and saying, so what is this? Mm -hmm. What are these words he's saying here? Because it's he casts a spell and he can't undo it once it started. Yes. And the the color choice again, visuals, the color choice of the wedding dress, the the contrast of her black hair, her very pale skin, the dark eye makeup, the red dress. He's in black and white. And I don't know that there was something I read about why they chose a red wedding dress, but I'm forgetting now. Yeah. I don't so know. it's it, you get two two weddings that are happening in this scene. The first one is where Otho summons Adam and Barbara into their old wedding dresses. He needed something. And so Correct. that wedding's going on. They instantly start aging, like by the second. They're up to like her face, her fucking eyes are sunken in like three inches into her head. Mm-hmm. And she's aging faster because he calls her first. So Lydia, out of desperation, She's already almost summoned Beetlejuice once. That's the before the second time where they get back from the waiting room and they stop her. But now she's left with no choice. She has, and she makes a deal with him. She knows that he has to marry her and she calls him out anyway. She kind of sacrifices herself to save them. And mm-hmm. yeah, it is the contrast. But isn't Beetlejuice's uh, tux kind of like burgundy? Because it's the one he's wearing in the waiting room at the end where his head starts shrinking down. Yeah, you might be right about that. It's like a... Uh, it's like the only time he's not wearing black and white, basically. Because mm-hmm. he's always got that other suit mm-hmm. on. But, well, the first time they meet him, he's just wearing, like, regular clothes. <laughs> uh. He looks like a... <laughs> he just looks like some kind of a dude at a pool hall in the 70s with just a beer gut and... <laughs> bald head and but yeah he has this it looks like some kind of a corduroy looking suit or something on at the end yeah so it's funny how the sandworms are also black and white striped i'm trying to remember how this scene resolves but like they try to say his name over and over he ends up making them go somewhere else he puts adam in the model he puts barbara in on saturn with the sandworms Mm -hmm. after he's like puts the zip i love the part where she says his name and he makes a zipper she just unzips it so it's like, <laughs> when he throws that steel plate <laughs> she unzips his beetlejuice <laughs> i was like why did you say it fast he's giving you a few seconds here but yeah the dramatic build yeah. up but how did Isn't she this all of a sudden we see the carnival thing though yeah that's when they when she finally calls him out he comes Dressed as like a human tent hybrid with the arms. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Where you and see, we see the little Jack Skellington on his hat. And I swear the the preacher of the Beetlejuice Lydia wedding that's almost taking place. He looks like a character out of. I mean, he's got like he, the square head with the, the big. He kind of looks alien almost. Probably he's probably a uh, character in Nightmare Before Christmas because. I know what you're talking about, and it just looks so familiar. But there, there is a little something familiar about all of Tim Burton's movies. Yeah, like though. I said, this this is where he really got his style down. I feel mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I mean, the wedding stopped, and I mean, the movie's mm-hmm. basically over here because now Lydia's like basically their kid. They're kind of her surrogate parents, even though her 
parents still live in the house. Right. But they they're okay with Barbara and Adam being in her life. Yeah, they're like, fuck, we, a, can, we get to chill now. You guys can fucking raise her. Yeah, no it's kind kids of anyway. a, a weird um, Mormon-esque type family. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she's like, not goth anymore, too. Like She's, dressed, she's well, got she's a little schoolgirl outfit yeah, on. Maybe, maybe she still is. Oh, but I was going to say, and I, I almost skipped right over it. The sandworm thing didn't make sense to me until I heard myself almost ask you what... Like, how the fuck did she just suddenly tame a sandworm? And then I just remembered, like, oh, she was gone for, like, a good minute. So in in Saturn time or wherever the fuck those things are, if two hours was, like, the five seconds that Adam was gone in the beginning of the movie, she must have been in there for, like, a a solid several weeks or months even. So she, like, learned learned how to tame, to, to, like, ride a goddamn sandworm and bring it into this world. That's a really... Good point. Well, I also wondered this because they have this 125 year sentence. If they got really bored, they could just go hang outside for a few hours within the sandworm land and it would that that time would be up pretty quick. Because you're talking, he's in there for a minute, let's say. She says two hours. So you're talking a factor of times 120, this this Mm -hmm. time difference. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's trippy. That whole thing, it was just like not really a big part of the movie, but it's definitely there. They mentioned sandworms in the newspaper he's reading too at the beginning, where it first shows him, and oh, it looks like they look good and dumb too when he sees their obituary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the hundred. I don't. I don't know why they were sentenced. To be honest with you, because it's like you said, they have to serve out this time in a purgatory of sorts. But what did they really do to have to deserve that? Yeah, the, I mean. Geographical and temporal parameters. It doesn't make sense (laughs) to us living. Yeah, I don't know. It's like maybe they were, you know, just normal people who send on a semi-regular basis. And it's like a light light sentence in purgatory. Because Beetlejuice (laughs) is stuck for eternity, as are the civil servants. They're not getting out of that shit. I mean, he's trying to look at ways of cheating it. Like, that's one of my favorite lines he says where... He's like telling her they have to get married for him. I'm not a legal alien of sorts, but he tells her like, we got to get married. And he's like, hey, I don't make the rules. In fact, I don't have any rules. I love that line. That whole scene where he's just sitting on the fucking gravestone, like waiting for her to come back. He's so Mm -hmm. mischievous. So maybe that's like the thing is, is the purgatory is minuscule compared to an eternity in purgatory. 125 years is nothing. Right. If you killed yourself and had to stay there forever, that's the real hell. Not just a blip and then you move on to whatever. But are they about to say in this second movie that the 125 years is still going? Because I call bullshit. Well, neither one of them are in it. And so as far I guess as the that's... cast that they've listed. So I mean, we'll just take a liberty here and say that Alec Baldwin wouldn't touch this movie with a 10 foot pole. Gina Davis, Definitely on the other not. hand, I mean, I guess just having one of them and not the other would be hard to explain. Yeah, and I don't think... And they, would, they wouldn't they would age either, so it's probably just a good thing to avoid altogether. But he does have a wife. So if Monica Bellucci is his wife, he's figured out how to dupe someone to get him out of his contract of eternity. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and this is just me. And if, I, if I'm right then I want my props. But if I'm wrong, whatever. Somebody else moved into the house 
he tricked them into marrying him. Somehow Winona Ryder finds out about it and she and her daughter make a trip to go warn this girl or whatever. And then they get sucked into a Beetlejuice movie. You know, I think that's probably a better idea than whatever they're going to do because sequels always disappoint me. Me too. But I mean, you did say though, you did say though that you liked the second Ghostbusters and I did too. And I got to rewatch it still after a few months. I still haven't. But I think that everything you reminded me about, I think I would definitely up my rating on that. Give it. I can't believe you still haven't watched it again. I mean, I'll fill you in after we stop recording. But okay. Okay. But yeah, I think that sequels being not disappointing is so rare. I really mm-hmm. hope Tim Burton and Michael Ke- Michael Keaton. I mean, I this is what I was scared of when I heard he was doing Beetlejuice two. I was like, please don't replace Michael Keaton with Johnny Depp. I know you want to fuck him real bad, but come on, please keep Michael Keaton. Yeah, and they did. So I'm happy with it. It's also the same writer, which is key. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he puts Johnny one. Depp in a lot of stuff. So I think we we're good. It's like we know you love him. Like let's let's move on. Yeah, there's that After. South Park episode. I don't remember which one it is, but someone's like, Tim Burton, if you want to fuck Johnny Depp, why don't you just do it? And quit making us <laughs> suffer through all these movies. <laughs> hey, oh they're pretty God. good movies. But I think that we understand Johnny Depp plays a really good creepy character. Which, by the way, yes. are you staying with your original answer that out of all the characters, you would be Beetlejuice? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> have a trouble with a living? You tired of having your homes blazed by a living? You want to get rid of them pesky living critters once and for all? Well, come on down and see me, folks, because I'm the afternoon's leading bio-exorcist. Yes, sir. Come on down here, and I want to tell you, I'll do anything. I'll scare them real bad. The point is, folks, I'm going to do anything to get your business. Hell, I'll possess myself if I gotta. Wow! Yo, I got demons running all through me, all through me. Come on down here and see it. Hey, hey Jack, now, you get a free demon possession with every exorcism. Ah, you can't beat that, can you? And bring a little parts down here. Hell, we got plenty of snakes and lizards for them to play with. There's no problem with that at all. So, say it once, say it twice, third time the charm. And remember, I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Come on down now. Chew on a dog. Oh! I can't think of anybody more appealing as a character because we've gone through them all. Really? Mm -hmm. Did we leave anybody out? I don't think so. No, I don't think we did. I would say I'm sticking with Barbara, but as a secondary answer to the question, I think I would be Miss Argentina because she's so (laughs) cynical and she's so like, what happened to me, fuckers? Like This is what happens when they die. This is what happens when they die. And this is what happens when you die. (laughs) What did she say? And if I would have known then what I know now, I would have not had my little accident. She's (laughs) a real snide bitch for sure. Yeah, I would say. It's like that burned out DMV worker, you know, personified. (laughs) I have to say one of my favorite parts in the movie is when he's got this number that's like forever fucking long. Yeah, and very he last like scene. distracts the guy and he's like, let me sw- pretend to yeah. swap numbers. Hey, hey look, it's Elvis. <laughs> yeah, well, looks like I'm next. Yeah, and you know, you said originally that you thought the guy with the shrunken head died that way. 
but he was sitting next to the witch doctor first. Do you think he tried that same shit? Maybe the hunter? Because his head shrunk. Ooh, I didn't think about that. I like the very end. He like just accepts it immediately. He's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? Ah! And then he's like, hey, this could be a good look for me. Like, he, <laughs> you know, here's a little tidbit that I heard and I didn't verify it. But somewhere I heard this a while ago that those legs, you remember where he's before he goes and sits where he gets his head shrunk. He's rubbing the disem, not disembodied legs, but the legs that only have half a body. That uh-huh. is supposedly is Tim Burton's at the time girlfriend's legs. Hmm. And. That's her claim to fame. Her legs and Beetlejuice. Can you imagine being that person at the party? It's like, oh, yeah. You ever seen Beetlejuice? <laughs> you know, those legs at the end? <laughs> you know, she me. does that to this day. She has to. She's yeah. like, they were totally my legs. I Nobody believes her. At the time. Yeah. Everybody's just like, oh, this bitch is here again. She's going to bring up the leg story. Oh, she's going to tell the fucking leg story from Beetlejuice. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody stop. Hey, look, Tracy's about to tell the leg story. <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> so where do you put Beetlejuice on the Burton list? Top three? Top I'm going to give it top five. Oh, so you'd put four above it, possibly. Possibly, because I really love Dark Shadows. All right. I and I love, that. yes, and I love Edward Scissorhands. See, it's for um, me, it's a toss-up with those two. Not for me, not for me. Just because while Beetlejuice has its moments with the the contrasting colors and everything, the the houses and the I don't know, Edward Scissorhands just it it takes you back to a different time. And even when Winona Ryder's wearing that white dress and she has blonde hair and she has red lipstick on. There's just something kind of cartoonish about how he how he directs the movies. And uh, you're know. talking to me, you're talking to me back into it because I'm sitting here thinking of the actors in that. Like Alan Alda is the dad and Diane Weiss does the mom. You get fucking Anthony Michael Hall playing a bully. Anthony Michael Hall buffed up playing yeah. like a douchebag guy. And my thing is is the Avon calling and she goes over with her little makeup bag and she's applying the makeup and she does this face mask on Edward. And just to me, there's something about it that stands out from Beetlejuice because I don't think they put as much effort into the costumes and the makeup. And even with Lydia's character, they could have done so much more with her look and they could have done more with the mom and, and Barbara and when you look at Edward Scissorhands and you have all those houses that kind of look the same, but they're a little bit different. And the lady with the ambrosia salad and all the colors are just popping off is that the screen. The, is that the, the redheaded lady that tries to seduce Yes, <laughs> yes. Even when he he's cutting the shrubs or he's going to like the yeah, salon uh, or the colors are just so they're vibrating off the screen. And they're, the story of the Scissorhands and everything, it's just different. You know, and it might be his breakthrough role too some people might argue that crybaby was but i don't think it had quite the impact no that edward way. scissorhand did mm-hmm. i mean i love john waters but i don't think that that movie was near as big as edward scissorhands for johnny or in general but did you hear that he wore those fuckers for like several months or whatever before did he, he really it? also i love this he always johnny depp always had like a fixture for a way he plays a role and he said that he thought of his childhood dog or something like that. It was a dog he had as a kid. But if you watch and think of him as a dog, like 
when she's mm-hmm. like touching his face, he's just like his mm-hmm. eyes and the way he's just so timid. He looks like a beat dog. When he when he does that wide eyed thing, that's so his, oh my gosh. His eyebrows are always like kind of at this angle, like yeah. cute dog look, puppy dog eyes. Think about that though. I mean, the movie again. I think Tim Burton is a brilliant genius. I think he uses Johnny Depp because Johnny Depp has cartoonish features. Yeah, he's and a it good just kind of plays to the. I have to say, uh, a movie that I watched um, within the last five years or so that I could have swore was a Tim Burton movie, but it wasn't. Is a movie called Crimson Peak. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Okay, I'm going to send you I'm going to send it to you. I'm just going to send it to you and you have to watch it this year. Yeah, have to watch it. Again, the colors just like burst off the screen. It's a horror movie, but it's like a romantic uh, Victorian kind of horror movie. It's got the guy in it who plays Loki in all the Marvel movies. People tell me I look like that guy. I think it's just the you do. Hair, hairline. We've had no. the same forehead. No, you definitely look like that motherfucker. You look like him a lot. Now all of the female listeners to to my show are going to go find you. <laughs> hey, ladies. You know, if you can't get to Loki, I'm the second best thing. So and it's you a, like this conspiracy is a, theories, so. This is a Guillermo del, del Toro movie, Crimson Peak. Well, he directed it. He didn't just produce it. So I'll watch anything he does. See? Jessica Chastain also. I like her. Dude, she's hot. Another redhead. Hot. Mm. She's a brunette in this, though. Oh fuck it! The man. main they they chose another girl to play the main character, and she's a redhead though. Okay, I can handle it then, as long so, as they balanced it out. I don't like this yes. g- ginger side that's going on. Y'all <laughs> being replaced. I know, but the main character she's a redhead, and uh, Jessica Chastain have too many is a brunette. And um, you know, I'm not just I'm I'm not going to tell you dick all about the movie. I just want you to go and watch it and be surprised because okay. it's. One of my top six favorite horror okay. movies of all time. All right. Well, I do want to ask you something before we close out on Beetlejuice. Do you think it is a fantasy comedy horror, a little bit of all of them? Because I hear these genres thrown around when people talk about it. And what is it exactly? A little bit of... Hmm? I would say it's a fantasy... Nope, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take it. Let me rewind, rewind. It is a dark, it's a black comedy film, as they call them, like the cable guy with Jim Carrey. It's ghosty, but it's also mental illness, and it's also funny. So I'm going to say it's it's like a dark comedy and one of two movies from my childhood that's rated PG that I can remember says the F-bomb. Nice fucking model. <laughs> I love that scene. Kicks the tree over. My brother and I used to say that to each other and then tell on each other. Just oh, my it. God. Or maybe I, get maybe, stitches uh, maybe I told on him. Oh, this is a funny story. <laughs> he said that and I was like, hey, mom, Bryce said the F word. And he starts crying. He's like, I did not say shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, oh my god it? yeah that's so hilarious okay where are you rating it as in his lineup mm-hmm. I, I gotta say if it's not one it's two you got me really thinking hard about edward scissorhands again i do think going with this movie for the breakdown was better no i do it, too i do too as far as like yeah 
And Bo Welch, who does the costume or the set design for Burton, is married to Catherine O'Hara. And if I'm not mistaken, mm. I think they may have met on the set of Beetlejuice. But they you got to give the, you got to give that guy props too because he's like Elfman. Without Elfman or Bo Welch, Tim Burton isn't Tim Burton. And I do like Very Elfman, true. but every fucking song or soundtrack is so similar. It's kind of like John Williams that way, where it's just like, is it dun 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 dun? That's like all of his movies right there. Mm-hmm. But I do love it. I agree. It works. So I guess stick to it. Are but. you gonna say what do you think it's a comedy movie? I think it's a I, I would put it in the same crossover genre that Ghostbusters is in. It's a paranormal comedy. Paranormal comedy, yeah. hmm Yeah. But, so it's it's borderline uh no, I think I'd put it in the same category as Ghostbusters because there you it was almost like you could learn a little bit from it in a weird yeah, and, way. And did Ghostbusters <laughs> invent that genre? Because I try to think of like movies before Ghostbusters that blended those two. Batteries maybe uh, not included. Yeah, Young Frankenstein, Cocoon? maybe. Yeah, Cocoon is, Cocoon's a drama, but I think Young Frankenstein's a paranormal comedy. If you have, hey, to I love, call it so. I love that one. My by far my favorite Mel Brooks movie. So. Oh, me too. Yeah. And I like Blazing Saddles, but it's not not the same. Not a ten, like Young Frankenstein's a ten. Young Frankenstein is a ten. Yeah, I think mm, I can't think of any other. There was another one. Do you remember? It came on the Disney Channel, um, rarely, but it was a Don Knotts movie called "The Ghost and Mister Chicken." And it was like yeah. a paranormal, it was like a ghosty movie, but it was a comedy because obviously it had Don Knotts in it. But it was around the time that Scooby-Doo was getting really big and it was like paranormal investigators, but it's funny. And so, um, and Don Knotts was actually in a couple episodes with Scooby-Doo. Um, but it was like a ghosty movie where he has to go to a haunted house. And I think, didn't he get started on like the Andy Griffith show and then everybody that's, realized he was super funny? And then I think that's he, his first thing. Yeah. Um, but I like old stuff like that. Like I watched all that shit with obviously my mom, but I do remember watching that one. Uh, did you see that they remade the Haunted Mansion? Is that the one with Eddie Murphy? Yeah, they remade it again, though. It came out this year. Why do they keep doing this? Because that was based on a Disney ride, and they thought, like, hey, Pirates of the Caribbean worked. It's like, yeah, cut your ties. You made it work. So, no, I didn't see they redid that. Who's in it? I think Jamie Lee Curtis is the lady in the ball, the the talking lady in the ball. I can't even with Jamie think, Lee these days. Let me see, because the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I never saw the one with Eddie Murphy either, so I don't know. Oh, it was I'm... really good. I really it loved is good. that. Okay. You know, um, those, when dude. he started making family movies after he got caught with the tranny, I was like, okay, you're obviously doing damage control here. <laughs> hey, I liked it, but... I love it. Okay, Andy so Murphy. it has Tiffany Haddish, Jared Leto, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, let me see, um, Dan... Oh, Winona Ryder is in it. Hmm. And it has uh, Dan Levy, Rosario Dawson. Ooh, I like her. Yeah. Uh, 
Hassan Minaj. Nikki's cousin? <laughs> no. And then it has a guy named Lakeith Stanfield, which actually I really like him. He was in Get Out. Do you recognize him? Is he the first boyfriend or is he the ambulance driver friend? Um, He was the first guy that got. Uh, oh, yeah. He's the one he sees at the house that he's like. The and butler he, or whatever. he's like, get out. Yeah, yeah, that guy. So he's in it. So I think it probably would be good. I really want to see it. Well, I guess I should watch the original first. <laughs> um. No, I can't believe you haven't seen that. The original is good. <laughs> I think I got but, to that age where I was so jaded on Disney and like Eddie Murphy family movies that I just skipped it. I think it was good. Um, so I think that we nailed it. This is a really good breakdown. We'll have to plan something else. Maybe we should just for uh, the hell of it do Edward Scissorhands or, or something of the like now. Uh, Tim, Tim Burton breakdown. You have to watch Dark Shadows though. Yeah, I remember one time my dad had it on and I kind of was like set in in the middle of it. And I thought this doesn't look horrible, but I never was compelled enough to revisit it. But I'll I'll check it out and I'll rewatch just, Ghostbusters, too. Just for the soundtrack, at least. But for it's the chock full of uh, Laurel Canyon music, probably. Right. Oh, it is. But, it's you know, I love that best, kind of music. I, it's my favorite, too. It's the best music of that uh, era. So it has you to know be what's, there. What's interesting is so many people reach out to me and I'm very honored to oblige them, but they, they always say you, you do the Laurel Canyon the best. Can you please talk to us on my podcast about the Laurel Canyon? Um, and it's just interesting because I started looking into it because I was obsessed with the music from that time. And that's the bittersweet irony of it is if I wasn't interested in the in the artists, if I wasn't interested mm -hmm. in the music, I never would have paid it as much attention as yeah. I did. I think I have to agree with you on that because it's my favorite music. It's the music I grew up to. And when I started hearing about this, because of my attachment the to betrayal. it. The betrayal. Also, I think there's something kind of cool about it in a weird way. It's like a, dub, a double edged sword of fucking psyop mm -hmm. and also like if that's all true which i assume most of it is the cia fucking makes good music and you got to give them that hmm. i think that they they understand how the human mind works and what's going to be successful and they they kind of change culture to change society but also if it wasn't good it it wouldn't work like the plan wouldn't work there would be no agenda with the counterculture movement if it didn't sound good if it didn't evoke some kind of emotion in you so uh obviously it's going to be good yes even with uh swing music there was there was this big thing where it was it was like bad to listen to swing music or yeah. it was provocative to listen to swing music and and so the it's because it got you dancing and touching right, hips. But if it wasn't amazing, it wouldn't have worked though. I'm sure that was another kind of like a counterculture thing to take you from whatever they were listening to to like more of a swing music kind of a scene, and then it just progresses, progresses, and now we have a Doja Cat. God help us all. You know, I don't know a lot about her, but that's a that's a great leap to make because 
I don't know. It's just, I think if McGowan had survived his CIA grade cancer, he could have done every fucking evolution decade, maybe, mm-hmm. or era. Because of think about it. What did we talk about before? How Laurel Canyon led to the grunge scene. Yeah, quite directly, too. And the, I think hip hop also, you could throw in there gangster. Rap. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, Colby, for the listeners, can you tell us what do you have going on, where we can find more of your work? Uh, conspiracy playtimes on all of the audio platforms. I also have an, a website that's very not up to date. We'll be we'll be doing that soon, or I will be. Uh, and disinformation weekly shit talking uh, satire culture current events type show. That's everywhere other than YouTube and Apple. It's a little risque. We talk a lot of shit on that one, and that's what I got going right now. And I also <laughs> make appearances with Julia, NY Patriot, other people in the scene pretty frequently so find me everywhere yeah we're we're besties and and we gotta look out for each other in our small little community um i hope everyone goes and checks out more of your work though well thank you i hope that people listening on my end i'm sure they've looked into you by now so but if you haven't get off your asses and do it damn it (laughs) julia julia brings her own little spin to things that never tires so yeah and she's also got several i mean shit I'll talk to you after we stop recording, but yeah, you've got a lot going on. So <laughs> I do. I'm trying yeah. to at least, but um it's, it's working. <laughs> thanks. So um I think this was great. I want everyone to go and check out um conspiracy playtime and disinfobation wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, Colby, for joining me. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you, and we will catch you on the next one. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body liner. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body liner. Work, 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 Sinora, work it all the time. My girl's name is Sonora. I tell you, friends, I adore her. And when she dances, oh, brother, she's a hurricane in all kinds of weather. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you, jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you, jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, I believe you, jump in the line, rock your body on time. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body line. Whoop. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body line. Work, 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 Sinora, work it all the time. You can talk about cha-cha, tango waltz or the rumba. Sinora's dance has no title. You jump in the saddle, hold on to the bridle. Jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body. Rock your body, child. Jump in the line, rock your body, child.